Welcome to the Inside the Star podcast. My name is Bryson Treese, and I'm the owner of InsideTheStar.com and ScienceSports.com, as well as Cowboys Nation on Twitter. Most of you probably are familiar with them. Um, we have decided to start up a podcast of our own, and it's going to be all Cowboys, and we're going to keep it going throughout the year. Uh, of course, now we're starting out ahead of free agency in the draft period, and uh, we'll keep that going throughout the off season whenever things are going on. Not really uh, planning on doing it every week or every couple of days or once a month, anything like that. Just whenever things are going on, because we don't want to bore you to death just trying to figure out something to talk about every week. But um, real excited to get started with this, and uh, for our first episode, we've got Jess Haney and uh, Kevin Brady, both staff writers at InsideTheStar.com, joining us. So let's get on to it. How are you doing today, Jess? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. You getting uh, excited for a free agency coming up here? Oh, yeah. This is my favorite time of year. Good, good. Yeah, I know you got a lot of numbers that you work on every day over there at the site, so I'm excited to see how that's going to turn out. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Got the draft coming up, and I know you and Sean have been working pretty heavy on some of the draft prospects. You uh, excited to see how, how the Cowboys are going to manage that time? Very excited, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy that simulates the Madden season to get to the off season, so this is definitely my fa- favorite time of year, just like Jess said. Good, good. All right, well, let's jump right into it. Uh, for those of you listening who aren't aware, this is going to be our first episode for uh, the podcast, and we're going to try to keep up with current events. Rather than keeping a regular schedule, we're just going to roll with it and see if the Cowboys are doing something. We'll come out and we'll talk about it and see what we think. So um, we're going to jump right into it with the salary cap. And the first question I've got, I'm, I'm, I want to ask Jess this. What or or who, you know, what player, what contract is the biggest obstacle to managing the cap this year? Because we've got some pretty, you know, some pretty substantial cap figures. And the most notable, of course, is going to be Tony Romo and Jason Witten. And Des Bryant gets up into there as well. So who do you think is the biggest obstacle to the Cowboys managing this uh, offseason? Well, the biggest obstacle is definitely a guy who's costing you a lot of money and then won't even be here. So that's definitely Romo. Um, he's going to count $19 million against our cap, and he's not around to even give us any benefit of that. So even if Des Bryant's got a high number, Witten's got a high number, we're still going to get them on the field at least to get something for it. So Romo's clearly the biggest problem. Kevin, you agree with that? Yeah, uh, definitely. Romo is the number one problem. I'm also looking at guys like... On the defensive line, Tyrone Crawford, who is going to be making a lot of money and, and the production hasn't really been there. And also Cedric Thornton, who uh, I like as a player, just like I like Crawford. But, you know, to be a rotational guy and to be a backup to uh, Terrell McClain if he is re-signed and Malik Collins, you know, you're paying him a lot of money to be that, to play that role. So that's, you know, it hurts the cap. But isn't that part of Mar- Marinelli's process? I mean, you don't have four true starters on that defensive line because of the way he rotates guys in there. So don't you run that risk with almost anybody you bring in? It is, yeah. I mean, that's true, especially with the rotation that they want to run. But uh, considering Malik Collins, the emergence of him and, and how well I thought he played in his rookie year, as long as he can stay healthy, which he didn't have problems with during the regular season and he had problems with during the off season, he's going to be you know, your best defensive tackle next season. Um, and then... You know, like you said, the Tyrone Crawford contract, it's bad, um, but you're going to get a lot of snaps out of him every week. 
once again, as long as he can stay healthy, he's had his own issues. Um, but yeah, you do run that risk, especially with the rotational defensive line that he loves to use. Well, I'll tell you, I, I think that um, we're dismissing Cedric Thornton a little too quickly right now because the fact that he ended up as more of a bench role last year, I, I think that that's kind of a hindsight problem because we didn't know that Terrell McLean was finally going to be healthy and contribute. We had two years of evidence to the contrary. And, you know, we signed Thornton before the draft, so we didn't even know we'd have Malik Collins. So they liked him then well enough to think, here's a guy who, and if nothing else, is better than Nick Caden, and we trust him to be a starter. They're paying him starter money. I think he's the reason Terrell McLean won't be back because they probably still like Thornton enough to give him a bigger role. Right. I mean, I personally, I would, I like McLean more as a player, but uh, Thornton was relatively productive in the time that he he did get. So, yeah, it's going to make it tougher to bring back McLean uh, considering what you're paying Thornton. And, you know, like you said, it is a little bit of hindsight on my part, but it is tough to look at those numbers, especially with Crawford and uh, Thornton, knowing what they did this season. It's tough to look back on those numbers. Yeah, with, with uh, Crawford's contract, I mean, you, you do hate $10 million. Anytime a guy's costing you double digits, you want more than than what he has given you. But I think that because of his versatility and the fact that he can step in and play that strong side in, he can be your three-tech, I really do think that um, we might underestimate his value some. I have written about how it's a bad contract at this point. I, I'm not trying to get away from that but at the very least I think that and you've made this point too I think we are going to get some decent value out of him right and you know like you said the versatility is there uh, just like it is with most of these defensive linemen on the roster but the problem is and the problem that needs to be fixed in this upcoming draft with the 28th overall pick is that we have a bunch of three techniques and a bunch of you know strong side defensive ends against the run, but not guys who can really rush the passer off the edge mm-hmm. dynamically enough. 100%. Yeah. Right. And when you look at that, I mean, you've got guys like Demarcus Lawrence and you've got guys like um, uh, David Irving. And both of them are kind of, uh, Demarcus Lawrence more so than David Irving. It's a, an unknown commodity. You don't really know what you're going to get out of them. And the cap numbers aren't very much, but again, you've got so many different guys on that defensive line. You got to start looking at it and thinking who's not going to make the cut. So, Jess, I want to know. I mean, what what do you think is going to be the biggest cap casualty of 2017 for Dallas? Well, my answer to that, aside from Romo, and he's not even a cap casualty at this point. He's more no, of a no. circumstance casualty. Uh, I would have said Doug Free, but here we are today with these reports that uh, earlier today the report was Stephen Jones making it sound like Doug Free was back to play right tackle and I think 30 minutes after that started coming out was talk Doug Free might be considering retirement so I don't know personally with Doug Free he counts 7.5 against your cap now and you can save 5 million by releasing him so he 2.5 million is is not a lot of dead money and to me, at this point, free is just not good enough to justify that cap hit. Five million in savings is a lot when you're only three million over the cap right now as it is. And I think that between Chaz Green, Emmett Cleary, or maybe some low price veteran band aid who you could sign for one to two million, you can get close to what free gives you. 
Well, yeah, and there's still the options with Lyle Collins. Now, I know that that's dependent a lot on what they do with uh, Ron Leary, but because they like Collins at the uh, left guard position, which is another thing that Stephen Jones was talking about today. So you, you've got that, and then you've still got the draft coming up, and the Cowboys seem to they seem to be just have everybody's number when it comes to the draft and offensive linemen. They're they're picking them great. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, a, a fun little exercise here, and this is actually brought up from one of the articles that I read recently. Uh, I believe it was Brian's article that he had put out there, and it's one I want to know between the two because at each position we've got some backlogs and at the running back position we've got Ezekiel Elliott we got Darren McFadden we got Alfred Morris and we got Lance Dunbar who do you keep we already know that Ezekiel Elliott's definitely going to stay he's not going anywhere but you've got Darren McFadden and you've got Alfred Morris and Alfred Morris hasn't really done a whole lot for us Darren McFadden did enough when he was asked to but he's not being asked to now so who do you keep, McFadden or Morris? Jess? Uh, between the two, it, it's it's a li- it's a little tricky because you've already got one under contract and the other's a free agent. So to keep McFadden, you've got to cut Morris and pay whatever's left on his deal. So that's a little bit of a caveat. But if I didn't have to worry about that side of it, I would keep McFadden. I think he's more of the third down back, which is probably better for if Elliott's been banging away for a couple plays bring McFadden in on third down I think they complement each other better how about you Kevin Darren McFadden or Alfred Morris I agree if 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 you got to choose between uh choose between the two I I think it definitely has to be Darren McFadden I don't think Alfred Morris uh showed enough when he had his opportunities I know they were getting him in there like every third series he was starting off the second quarter and you know, there was just a clear drop-off. And obviously, there's going to be some drop-off when you have a talent like Ezekiel Elliott as a starter. Between McFadden or Morris, there's going to be a drop-off. But Morris just didn't do enough. Plus, if you cut him before that June 1st, I think you get $1.6 million back on the cap. Um, not 100% sure on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what the number is. So, that might work out for the best. All right, and Kevin, let's keep going with you there. Given that, what do you do with Lance Dunbar? This is tricky, uh, especially because of what ended up happening with Darius Jackson, who um, at least I had sort of hoped could be that play that Dunbar role. Um, similar to Morris, though, I don't think Dunbar has really shown enough. Um, I I had high up high hopes for him in the beginning of 2015, um, but between the injuries and just the lack of production when he's gotten his chances, I don't know if Lance Dunbar uh, should really have a roster spot this year. I'm totally for taking a six-round, maybe a seventh-round running back in this draft because it's a deep draft class. You might be able to find some type of value, some type of guy who can come out of the backfield and catch the football, um, and you'll get him for cheaper than you're going to get Lance Dunbar. Not that he's a huge cap number, but still. All right, and Jess, looking over on the defensive side of the ball, we've got some free agents that we've got to get re-signed. We know that the secondary is... Actually, something that was a little better in 2016 than a lot of people anticipated, and definitely better than the guys playing it. But who do you keep, Morris Claiborne or Barry Church? Who do you go out on a limb to resign? Well, I wrote recently that if the Cowboys were going to use their franchise tag on any one guy, I would have used it on Barry Church. Um, not saying that I would do that. I, I, I wouldn't use it on anybody, but he would be the, the best possible option. So given that, I think he's definitely the pick. Claiborne flashed great things, but then he missed nine games again. And I'm just tired of having to talk about that with him. 
tired of having to talk about that with most of the team. We've had injuries plaguing us for the last few years. But what what makes you choose Barry Church over J.J. Uh, Wilcox? I think just consistency. Uh, I'd rather have a guy who is going to be in the right place at the right time more often as opposed to you know occasionally giving you those big hits, forcing a fumble. I, I do, you know, you like Wilcox's growth. He did look like a little more of a competent player. I think part of that, though, was that he wasn't being asked to do as much in coverage. We seem to be relying on our corners more this year than we were previously to hold up in man, and that let the safeties roam around a little more. But to me, Church has just been solid, and he's not spectacular, but at this point, I'd, I'd prefer solid. I kind of would too, but I mean, I go back to, you know, looking at how the secondary played this year and you really had a three-man rotation between the two safety spots between Barry Church, J.J. Wilcox, and Byron Jones. And there was something that worked about that. I mean, it took Marinelli's philosophy when it came to the defensive line of keeping guys fresh throughout the game. And it created situations that could benefit each player's strength, you know, and I don't know if I want to lose that. How about you, Kevin? Yeah, I think there's something to that, but if you're choosing between Barry Church or J.J. Wilcox, really the only thing I see Wilcox having over Church is his age. Um, Barry Church, I think there's something to him being voted a captain, a defensive captain. He's obviously a leader, and he he came up with a few big plays throughout the year. Obviously had the big interception in Washington Week 2 that in some ways changed the course of the season where they're 0-1, staring down 0-2, and he makes a big play like that. Uh, He's just a more steady, reliable player. And I think both the Cowboys and Wilcox could benefit from a change there. I, I definitely agree on that. All right, let's uh, l- let's move on. Let's get back to that Tony Romo situation we talked about. And you know, Kevin, I'm I'm curious what you're making of a lot of the speculation that's out there. I mean, we know today that the Redskins put a franchise tag on Kirk Cousins, so that rules out Washington as one of the destinations for Romo. But, of course, you still got Houston. you still got Denver in the conversation. Some people keep throwing Cleveland Browns into the conversation, and if so, I feel bad for Tony Romo. But what do you think happens with him? I mean, you know, give me your top team, top two teams that you think are going to be the most likely to land him. Well, Washington did just franchise Kirk Cousins, and now they're talking about possibly a signing trade with San Francisco. So, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to happen with that situation. But I would definitely – I would I would rule Washington out. I think you're looking at, at – Houston, Denver, and Arizona, and I would put Denver and Houston sort of at the top of that list. Um, it would be kind of doing right by Tony to keep him in Texas, I guess. I mean, what is what would be the, the best situation for him to play in? It looks like Denver, but that offensive line is rough, and if he goes somewhere like Arizona, that offensive line is also rough, and Carson Palmer can stay upright, and you're going to talk about Tony Romo possibly staying healthy for a 16-game season and a postseason. You know, we, we just haven't seen that, and to put him... In a, in a worse situation in terms of offensive weapons uh, in one of these other cities, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough for him. But, yeah, I would, I would say Denver and I would say Houston are the top two. What about you, Jess? Who do you have uh, as Tony Romo's top contenders? I, I got to agree with everything Kevin said there um, based on the fit, based on the fact that with Houston you have the, the complete – meltdown of Osweiler. He looks like one of the biggest free agent busts since Albert Hainsworth. And then in Denver, you've got two guys, neither of whom with Paxton Lynch and um, Simeon 
neither of whom look like they're really ready to contend for a championship, but the rest of that team is. So, you know, it's a, it's sort of for them, it's about taking advantage of a window while it's open. One team that I will throw out there though, because um, I haven't heard them mentioned much, but I think we've got a few logical links to would be the Chicago bears because we know they're dumping Cutler and where did Tony go to college? Eastern Illinois. And where did he grow up? In the cold, you know, in Wisconsin. So, you know, I, I just think that that is a location which many people might think about, oh, cold weather, old guy, he don't want to play there. Don't forget that that's where he's from. Well, what about a team like, I mean, there's two other teams, which I'm not hearing very much, but, you know, I throw this out there. Kansas City Chiefs is one, as they're not sure what they're going to do with Alex Smith. But another one is the Miami Dolphins, who saw the injury to Tannehill that they got to worry about. And, I mean, news came out in the past few days that it's not the, the more severe injury, but he's still not supposed to be ready for, you know, camp in the beginning of the season. So a guy like Tony Romo can come in and keep them going, which they've had some good momentum over the last few years building up. I mean, what do you think of places like that? I was going to say, I, th- I think Kansas City would be a great place for him to play, especially you get a tight end like Travis Kelsey. Uh, you get Tyreek Hill as an offensive weapon, and obviously what they have defensively already. Uh, I'd be a little nervous to have Andy Reid and Tony Romo combined there for clock management in the fourth quarter, but uh, <laughs> it's still a, still a pretty a pretty good situation for him. But they don't seem to really want to move on from Alex Smith, which baffles me in more ways than one, but they, they seem pretty uh, content with their situation. Uh, Miami does offer a lot of... Um possibilities because of all those receiving options they've got there now um but you know the the question there is if even if Tannehill isn't ready for camp if if he's reasonably projected to be ready to start week one which from my understanding he is I, I just don't know why you would bring in Romo and undercut Tannehill right when you know your team is starting to look like it's on the way up it seems like they would almost be taking a step backward well, and I want to bring up a point that Kevin mentioned there that, you know, it's the right thing to do for Tony Romo, but what we've been hearing more lately is that there's some tension brewing between Tony Romo and Jerry and Stephen Jones. So what do you think's going on with that? I mean, is that going to factor into where he ends up? Yeah, they just had the report today that Jason Garrett hasn't spoken with Tony since the season ended. I mean, for for whatever that's worth, who knows what players he has and hasn't spoken with. Um, but... Yeah, it could it could factor into it. I wrote about this a few weeks ago where, you know, you don't want to treat Tony too poorly here because he's sort of been asked to to bite the bullet throughout the entire season. He had to go in front of the media and he had to, you know, concede the starting job and all of that, even though I do believe it was the right decision. You know, that's that's still tough for a guy who was your franchise quarterback for all these years to do. So at what point can you stop asking and asking and asking from Tony and at what point do you have to do good do right by him same time though, this is the business and this is the NFL and, and you're trying to win a Super Bowl and you're trying to do what's best for your own team over some player that's not going to be here anymore and Jess what do you think is the uh, likelihood and I mean j- just stretch out there what are the any possibilities that Tony Romo is in Dallas for 2017 if Dak Prescott gets hit by a bus uh, between now and next Thursday yeah maybe he's still here that's about it well, you know, Romo can always cross his fingers, right? <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. So what? What? So what do you want to do with Tony Romo then? Do you want to? Do you want to cut him? Do you want to make him a, a, a post June first cut designated now and release him so he can go find somewhere? Do you want to hang on to him a little bit longer and see if maybe you can do a trade? Because the Cowboys aren't known and they're you know towing that same uh, company line today, saying they're not going to make a big splash in free agency. So maybe next Thursday doesn't really matter so much for the Cowboys. So. What if they hold on to Tony Romo a little bit longer and see if they can't try to increase some draft position or maybe leverage him for a trade somewhere? That's sort of how I feel right now because, you know, as we saw today with um, Garoppolo, uh, the the news on Jimmy Garoppolo, New England saying they weren't going to trade him, as pieces start to move and more importantly come off the table, Romo still being out there increases his value increases the potential that some team might finally call the Cowboys and go, all right, here, here's a third-round pick or, or whatever. And so there really is, to me, no reason to feel like we owe it to Tony to make him a free agent at the very start. If there are teams that want Tony Romo, they know he's not going to be a Cowboy um, in 2017. So they're, they may hold a spot for him. They may wait, and the longer we wait – the longer we may be able to get a trade. So basically, you're you're expecting a bidding war, and you know everybody's going to be expecting that as well. I, that's how I feel. Well, and you've got you talk about guys on the market. I mean, you know, just what a month ago we had uh, Colin Kaepernick, we had uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, there was a possibility of uh, Alex Smith coming, which is kind of coming off of that now. You're probably going to have Osweiler unless the Texans just get stuck with him, but I know they want out of that. Cutler, um, Cutler, I, I'm seeing things that Cutler is going to that he's going to retire. He's thinking about retiring, and he's not that good anymore. Yeah, I mean, how much are you really going to give for him? I, I'd, he could probably manage somewhere. He could probably be a, go somewhere and be a Brad Johnson or a Kyle Orton, but I don't think that he can you know go into a team and really bring a whole lot. So I don't put him in the same conversation as as Tony Romo. So anyway, the point that I'm getting at is that with all these guys coming off and even Kirk Cousins getting franchise tag, that market is getting really slim. So that does bring up Tony Romo's expectations. Yeah, but no, um, I, I I do agree with that, and I and I just think that at this point, while while Plenty of people would say that, you know, we've, we owe Tony to do whatever we can to do right by him. At the end of the day, we are still going to owe this guy $19 million on our salary cap for 2017. So let's not pretend the Cowboys aren't taking a pretty big loss in this situation. Um, so if the Cowboys can find a way, and I don't, you know, I don't think Jerry is going to trade him to Cleveland or something like that. He, he won't do that. But I do think it behooves the Cowboys to wait a little while, see what opportunities are there that are best for both parties. All right, and let's move on to the next player. We got Jason Witten, and yeah, it's a sore subject for a lot of people, I know, but he's been with the, he's been in the league a long time. I mean, he's getting slower he's not as quick as he once was he still has all the skill he did but he's due over 12 million dollars this year and he can't do everything he used to do which means we have to turn to other guys and we've got Gavin Escobar James Hanna Jeff Swaim and whatever happens with Rico Gathers so Kevin I want to know what do you do about the tight end situation in general I mean whether that be you know, maybe possibly shopping around Jason Witten. I mean, it is a business after all, so there are no loyalties to worry about. Right. Well, in, ter- in terms of Witten, uh, I think 
what's most likely to happen, in my opinion, would be that they extend him another year and separate this money out that he's owed for one year over two years, which makes sense financially. But what type of what level is his play going to be at um, this year or next year? Considering, you know, we really have seen a decline in his play, even if he's gotten to eighth all time on the all time receiving list with nothing but eight yard button hooks. It's it's still sort of a problem, and he's not giving you the yards after catch. He's not really much of a vertical threat anymore. But the biggest problem this season was his blocking, and there were way too many times that they trusted him on inside zone running plays, and he just got flat-out beat. And we saw it against the Giants a lot against Olivier Vernon, and I know it's a tough matchup, but it, if you're going to be entrusted, if you're going to trust your tight end with that block, he's got to be able to make it. And Witten has been a guy that can make it over his career, and he just can't right now. Right now, though, I really like Swaim. Uh, I know a lot of people here at Inside the Star like Swaim, and as long as he can stay healthy next season, I think you're going to see Swaim start to uh, take the bulk of the reps as tight end one. I um I don't disagree uh, as far as um, some of the warning signs that we have with Witten. Uh, I don't know about Swaim jumping up that far into the rotation only because, you know, they paid James Hanna a lot of money to stay right. as a free agent last year. And I think they think pretty highly of him. Um, of course, injury took took away last season from him. But if, I mean, he's already has the reputation of being the best blocker on the team. So if he is still that, which he has to prove again during this offseason, if he's still that, and we know that he is highly athletic for his size, he, he could be the guy that jumps in there, or at least he and Swain will be you know, 2A and 2B. Um, And then, of course, there's Rico uh, Gathers, who apparently was lighting up the practice field. So, I don't know. One thing I will say is that I think our mix at tight end makes it highly unlikely that Dallas will invest a high draft pick in a tight end in this draft. I think they'll wait. They'll evaluate who they've already got. And then next year, when Witten is probably gone, either via retirement or a cut, um... Then we'll then maybe they'll go ahead and draft high to replace him. I'm actually pretty excited to see Jeff Swaim, and I, I was against Jeff Swaim. Uh, you know, Mike over on Cowboys Nation, he's got the whole Swaim train going. <laughs> but you know, this all uh, during this preseason, yeah. I mean, there was the, there was those two drops that he had, but the rest of it, he's actually starting to emerge a little bit in the passing game, and he's one of those kind of like Witten where he ran a solid enough route. It didn't matter that he wasn't really a deep threat or a traditional receiver because his uh, his strength is blocking. But I want to see how he's able to compete with a James Hanna because James Hanna, we know what we get with him. We know what we get with uh, Gavin Escobar, and it's injuries pretty much all the way across the board. Now, Swain kind of had an issue too, but I'm hoping he can bounce back and I guess for me, he still has the upside of not being an injury-prone player, but just somebody who had an injury. All right, regarding the 2017 NFL draft, you know, we've been hearing a lot about um, the deep class that there is when it comes to the positions that the Cowboys really need. But, Kevin, I want to know, based on what you've looked at from this class this year, who do you think is actually – where do you think the Cowboys are going to go with the first pick, offense or defense? Well, my initial inclination is defense, of course, knowing what where the holes are. But after the Doug Free news today, I started thinking possibly even right tackle. I, I think it's a wild card. I don't think it's going to happen necessarily. But uh, if someone like Cam Robinson out of Alabama is there, it could be a really good fit for Dallas. And then you're going to have four 
first-round picks on that offensive line, and then Lyle Collins, who is basically a first-round player. Uh, but I would definitely go defense, personally. I think you have a deep edge class, and I think even picking a 28, you're going to be able to get a defensive end who can be relatively productive in his rookie season. But isn't that kind of a knee-jerk reaction? I mean, after the 2016 season, we saw that defense just not really be able to get it done, which is the same thing as 2014. They weren't really able to get it done by pressuring quarterbacks and stopping the pass. So, I mean, isn't that a knee-jerk reaction to say that and not necessarily true to what the Cowboys do, where they focus on the best player on the board? Right. I I, I agree with that, but I, I also think that there is a chance – that one of these tackles is the best player on their board at that at that time. And um, I think right tackle was a knee going into this draft, whether Doug Free um, decides to retire or he sticks around. You're, you're running out of time there, and we all saw the decline in his play this season, that's for sure. Um, so if they do choose to address it there, I wouldn't necessarily be against it. Another place they might go on the offensive side of the ball would be receiver. And if someone like John Ross out of Washington is there, he's the Sean Jackson type of guy, somebody who could be a wide receiver too for you, take – jet sweeps, a couple of deep passes a game, get him the ball in uh, like bubble screen type plays, get the ball in his hands and see what he can do, take some of the load off of Des Bryant. I wouldn't be against that either if they did go the offensive route. Uh, still though, I I want a defensive end and I want a defensive end in the first round, but that's just me. What about you, Jess? Where do you see him going? Well, that debate about need versus best player is eternal when it comes to the NFL draft. And when you do go best player and try not to worry too much about need, you might get Zach Martin. And nobody is regretting that pick at this point. But And then if you focus too heavy on need, you might get Bobby Carpenter. But at the same time, when you're picking 28th, that has a lot to do with it too because 28 is is a, an eternity. <laughs> in the first round and so many different things can happen a run on one position versus another pushes some guys down pulls some out to where it's very hard to even say well we're gonna look for the best defensive end or the best this or the best that because one run on defensive ends and you can forget about it so I don't know I think I think that because they're picking 28th because they do have the Witten situation that we just talked about they do have the Doug Free situation they don't have Terrence Williams or Bryce Butler under contract right now wide receivers on the table I mean there's just so many different ways they could go and there should be good talent there in almost any of these need positions they have well one of my concerns with that is is and we know since Will McClay has kind of stepped up and taken more of a central role in the draft selection process for the Cowboys we've heard a lot more about that best player available is what they're going to go for rather than trying to target need where we did get the Bobby Carpenters. But the thing with that is, is look at our offense. I mean, how stacked are we on offense and how many offensive picks have we used in the first round lately? Um, It's just, I mean, aside from, you know, Byron Jones and Morris Claiborne, it's been years. So isn't there some, you know, merit to having to focus a little bit on need and maybe even look at trading up? to you know even if it's just you know 10 spots which you know the the jerry jones has been known to do that go from the very tail end of the first round and just come up to about that 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 the end of that second third what do you think about that kevin well like you just said though with while jerry jones has been known to do it since will mcclay has taken over um it hasn't really been their forte they they like to stay put or, or even trade back like they did in uh 2013 with the travis frederick situation um 
I do think that there is something to that, though, where you're picking this late in the draft for a reason. You're a good football team, and you're good especially on one side of the ball. And for the playoff game to end the way that it did, I think that, you know, you look at what the needs are in this team, and it's it's somebody who can rush the passer, and it's secondary help, and possibly even linebacker help, depending on what the situation is with Jalen Smith. But if you had to list the needs, the top five needs in this team, at least three of them are on the defensive side of the ball. And when you only have six picks in this draft, you got to make them count. And I think there does have to be a focus on the defensive side of the ball. Well, and there's also got to be a focus on who can come in and contribute immediately because I mean we don't have time on defense to let a guy you know sit back and get comfortable and learn the position. We don't have time to take a J.J. Wilcox through his progression from an offensive position to a defensive position. We need somebody to come in now, and you know we we've taken shots at it recently. You know with your your, your Tank Lawrence and your Randy Gregory's, and you know I mean God knows if that'll ever pan out, but. When it comes to it, let's say edge rush, because I think everybody can agree that that's one of the biggest needs on this team that we can make do pretty much everywhere else. But if that defensive line doesn't step it up, we're in trouble. So looking at edge rushers that you've looked at, what are a couple of guys that you not only think will possibly be available when we're going to be able to pick, but will also be able to come into the team and be noticed day one, you know, something equivalent to what Malik Collins was able to do? Well, there's three names, really, that uh, have emerged at the top of my list, and that's Charles Harris out of Missouri, who has maybe the best one pass rush move in this whole draft with his spin move and his uh, explosiveness explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. And there's the other two. There's Carl Lawson out of Auburn, who I love, and there's Takaris McKinley out of UCLA. But now both of them are having issues. Uh, Carl Lawson in 2015 with injuries and Takaris McKinley now having to have shoulder surgery. And then you have the, the problem of first-round pass rushers normally aren't going to be double-digit sack guys. And, of course, you can't um, grade an entire player based on their sack totals. There's a lot more that goes into that. But there is something to that where a Joey Bosa is an outlier, and if you're going to take somebody who had sh- shoulder surgery and is going to be out five to six weeks, you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to deal with that. All right, so you've got guys like that. And, of course, we've still got a lot of unknown commodities when it comes to the defense. So, you know, we shouldn't really put a lot to that. I mean, for one, we've got Charles Tapper, who should be coming back. And given the way he was misused in college and, you know, he fits our scheme a little bit better, a lot of people are excited to see what he's actually going to be able to do. Plus, you got guys like Malik Collins who have had another year in the system and have learned a little bit more. And we kind of figured out a little bit better what David Irving can do and where we can move him around to make an impact and – all that, but looking at the draft in general, and I know you got you got your crazy stuff like you know Miles Garrett talking about you know trade up to get me, you know saying that to Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, and you have those type of guys that probably aren't going to fall to us, but you never know things could happen. So, Jess, what do you look at as some of your you know possible dream scenarios for the Cowboys in the first round? Well, I'll give you um, one one as far as a player falling to us. Malik Cooker is going to miss everything from now till like the start of training camp with the surgeries he just had. He's supposed to be back to where he could at least contribute, hope participate in some of your training camp and, and maybe preseason, but he should be fine for the start of the regular season. Uh, and um, so if, if he were, you know, if, if some guys, because he's not playing or participating in the combine and pro days and all this stuff, if some guys were to start vaulting him, and that safety conversation, and he fell. I mean, that is an elite talent 
that Dallas could hopefully snag. And if you have him and Byron Jones, now you can actually talk about, do we need Byron Jones to go back to playing corner? Or do we just have two amazing safeties? Uh, Either way, I feel like that is something that isn't completely outside of the realm of possibility and could be incredible for us. The other thing I'll say is that because this quarterback um, is class in 2017 is not that great, I don't know if we're going to see um, maybe a big run on quarterbacks in the first round, but we could at least see several guys there at 28 to where Dallas might have some good negotiating power um, to work on a, a trade with some other team picking high in the second who does still need a quarterback and maybe um, get some a decent extra pick out of it. Well, first off, to Jess's second point there, I think it is possible that you might be even might even be able to swing Romo for maybe a third round pick if a team like Buffalo misses out on Deshaun Watson or Deshaun Kaiser or Mitch Trubisky, whoever it is that they like, and then maybe they panic a little bit because you know how teams might get on draft day, and then they might decide, hey, let's send uh, a pick there to Dallas to pick up Tony Romo. In terms of a dream scenario, and I know a lot of Cowboys fans would probably be against this considering uh, the lack of luck we've had with taking chances on players with some type of off-the-field issue. Uh, But Tim Williams out of Alabama as an edge rusher is my second-highest-graded edge rusher right now, and he is, in my opinion, a top five to seven player in this entire class. And he's had some issues off-field that might drop him here, and I've seen him mocked as low as 32 to the Patriots. And if he's there at 28... I believe that he could bring a huge impact to the Cowboys in his rookie season. But, you know, I understand the Cowboys might be weary to take a chance on a guy like that, considering the Randy Gregory's and the Demarcus Lawrence's of the world. Well, not even that. I mean, you talk about Tim Williams and Malik Hooker. I mean, you're you're talking about guys who have injuries that are going on, and it, it takes us back to Jalen Smith, honestly. Now, I mean, if, if Jalen Smith... And ignore the the latest news on that. Whatever happens with his knee happens, and we'll find out when it comes time for opening day. But when you take a chance like that, you could either get somebody who might be awesome in a year or two, or you could get somebody who could start playing right away, and they are what they are. But, I mean, it's such a big gamble. And, I mean, where else could we have spent that second-round pick in uh, 2016 that would have benefited our 2016 team more than Jalen Smith? So, I mean, do you really want to take a chance on some guys like that? You know, it's a good point, because if they would have taken somebody like Noah Spence, even though they would have been taking a chance in a different way, they probably would have had uh, more of an impact now with Malik Collins coming from the inside and Noah Spence coming from the outside, being able to get after the passer. And instead, you had your second-round pick just sitting on the sidelines the entire season. Um, And now you're only picking six spots ahead of where you took Jalen Smith. So I don't think the Cowboys will be scared off of taking chances. But to your point, they're in a position now where it's win now, at least to a certain extent. While they are young players, you never know how fast that window can close in the NFL, and you don't really want to waste it uh, while the opportunity is there. At the same time, though, they are young, and you have Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and guys that should be here for years and years, so maybe taking a chance, maybe you're more likely to take that chance, even in the first round. Well, I mean, kind of getting off this subject a little bit, but, I mean, you bring up the young guys and that whole win-now mentality. 
uh, Jez, do you put any stock into the idea that when you take two guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, who came out and both had very, very good years for rookies, and then they come into their second year, but because of whatever reason, the team just doesn't, it's not able to perform. Like, say we take too many gambles in this draft and we aren't able to improve the team enough to even catch up to what we lose in free agency. Do you think that that can hurt them overall and turn a Dak Prescott into an RG3 perhaps? No, I, I honestly, I, I don't buy a whole lot into the um, idea of um, environment like corrupting a player, um, at least when it comes to success. Now, like RG3 became what he did because he got, got had a catastrophic injury and Washington horribly mismanaged it. Um, if we were to, say, have a down year, like go from 13 and 3 to 9 and 7, and miss the playoffs or, or something like that. I I don't think it's going to change what we saw in Dak Prescott because if anything, Dak Prescott is who he is because he has incredible consistency, focus, and an approach to the game that's well beyond his years. I, I think he's already a veteran in a lot of ways. So I wouldn't be too worried about, about that having an adverse effect on him. But, I mean, even so, Tony Romo reached a point like that, at, at, uh, I'd say probably about five years ago. He reached that same kind of point where, where he had learned enough. He had gotten past a lot of his mistakes, and he became known as, you know, the fourth-quarter comeback king because the defense would just let up so much that he'd have to go out in a shootout, a shootout and try to catch up. So, I mean, if, that, if Dak Prescott's forced in the same situation, like with the Green Bay game, you know, let's say that he's forced in that situation over and over again because the defense just can't pull its own weight. Doesn't that start to wear on a guy? I think, yes, it, it can. But I don't know. It, it's hard to say because if you're looking at just a single draft pick, and I understand that, that this would be like a, sam- a small sample of a much larger draft philosophy, but every draft pick is its own entity and everything really has to be based on the circumstances of that particular pick. Who's available, who isn't, and you can't get too caught up in more like global concepts to me. I think you just have to make the best decision at every pick every year based on what is there at that particular moment. And I don't know, I just to me I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about it on a philosophical level. I'd worry about who's on the board at that very moment. So you're definitely for best player available and not for team need. When the two marry, then that's perfect. I mean, to me, it's a formula. If, you know, you, you assign X amount of points to team need and X amount of points to best player available. And then the two like combined score is the highest. Then that's the best pick. You know, maybe the best player available is a wide receiver and the third best player available is a defensive end, but you need a defensive end more, so that becomes the best pick. That's kind of the yeah. way I look at it. And that rarely happens, So, I mean, Kevin, what do you think? Is it possible to ever have team need match up with best player available? Well, I think Jess said it best, but, you know, it is possible. I guess if you look back at the Tyron Smith pick, that I guess you could argue, though, J.J. Watt did go, but... Still, I think you had best player available and you had um, a big team need kind of marry there. But it is pretty pretty rare that's going to happen. You don't want to reach too far for team need, that's for sure. You don't want to take somebody uh, who doesn't deserve to be taken there. But 
if the team believes that 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 is going to be a first-round talented player, then uh, even if Mike Mayock is going to yell at you on television, uh, you got to make the pick. Yeah, I definitely understand. But, you know, a lot of that we'll see when it comes time for the draft day. Um, well, I mean, Kevin, you've got a – you probably got a pretty busy schedule coming up on uh, Science Sports doing uh, scout reports, correct? You're looking at a lot of guys that are uh, – that yeah, we're talking absolutely. about here. Who, who do you got up next on the on the board? Uh, right right next, we're going to be looking at uh, Tredavious White, a cornerback out of LSU. I've already collected the clips and watched the film, so now just writing up the report and getting that out as soon as I can over at Slant Sports. Good, good. And you can find all those at slantsports.com. Of course, uh, Kevin Brady and Sean Martin are both uh, pretty active over there uh, looking at the prospects coming up and doing full profiles of them, looking at film. So if you need to know who's who on the draft, you can look at that. Um, we're also moving those over to the uh, InsideTheStar.com website and looking at who actually fits the Cowboys a little bit better uh, based on their needs and uh, you know who could they who they could possibly get with their draft position. Um, meanwhile, Jess is working you know pretty pretty heavy on the salary cap situation. Uh, team management is his thing, so he's going to keep coming out with those reports, and you should definitely check it out. Uh, he had one on the tight end situation, which was actually pretty remarkable. He came out last week. You can find that over at InsideTheStar.com. You can follow Jess Haney at uh, Cowboys Addicts on Twitter. It's Cowboys Addicts. And uh, he's been over there for quite a while, and uh, it's always good to answer questions. Kevin Brady 88 is where you're going to find Kevin on Twitter. And, um, guys, I think that's about it for this show. You got anything else to add, Jess? No, just uh, looking forward to next week. And um, hit me up if you want to find out more about the Doug Free Retirement Party I'm going to throw. <laughs> Doug free retirement party. Are you going to have a whole bunch of like yellow flags hanging up on the wall? Oh, definitely. And we're going to let any defensive end that wants to come, we're going to let you right through like Doug free would. There you go. There you go. You know, just give him a little tap on the chest and say, there you go. But I just want to make sure yeah. you're there. Easy access. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? Um, yeah, nothing much. Nothing left to say, really. Just big week coming up with the combine, obviously, and free agency opening. Don't expect the Cowboys to do too much, but... You never know. You know we'll be glued to it. Great. Well, that's the first episode of Inside the Star Podcast in the books. do want to thank our listeners for uh, sticking with us for this time and just let you know we have got more content coming for you here probably later this week, uh, maybe even tomorrow. We're going to take a look at some of the contract stuff and see what's going on and use Tony Romo's contract as a good example with Jess there to break down and see exactly how this stuff works because there's too much bad information out there that uh, that uh, a lot of you guys I'm seeing are listening to a little too much. So thanks again for joining us, and uh, until next time, have a good one and go Cowboys. Inside the Star podcast is a production of InsideTheStar.com, an affiliate of Slant Sports Digital.